if money is tight for many of you, and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, and you have honored the Lord, and, and there are verses in the Bible that say such things as, seek my kingdom first and my righteousness, and I'll give you everything you need, and you haven't the, the foggiest notion how that's going to happen, you do what's right and you are patient. You wait upon the Lord. This is where it becomes very practical. You're patient. Most of us are not patient. We want patience and we say, I want it now. Well, that's not patience. We sure are a generation that just can't wait. We tend to want what we want and we want it now. I remember that as a kid, I couldn't wait for all sorts of things. I couldn't wait for Christmas, couldn't wait for my birthday, couldn't wait for the big fishing trip, on and on. Well, guess what? I did wait. How did I manage? Well, I simply had no choice. There was no way to make Christmas or my birthday or that fishing trip get there any faster. I just had to cool my jets and learn to be patient. That was hard to do, and you know what? It still is. Hello and welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our daily Bible classes of the air are an extension of Pastor Steve's more than 25 years of ministry at Lakeside. If you have been following along, you already know that we are studying the subject of faith and we're concentrating on Hebrews chapter 11. Today is the conclusion of Pastor Steve's second message on the heroes of the faith. We've been looking closely at the life of Abraham, who set a fantastic example for us. If you have your Bible and would like to follow along, Pastor Steve will soon be reading from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 9. Here is Pastor Steve. But there's a second characteristic of Abraham's faith, and it all fits together. Abraham's faith was also patience. Patience. Verse 9. We need active faith. You need a faith that responds and obeys and does what God wants. But you also need to be patient. And so verse 9 says, By faith he, meaning Abraham, lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. This is, this is just incredible. Even though our father Abraham was promised this land. God said, Abraham, to you and to your descendants, as far as the eye can see, you've got it. And then, in fact, in Genesis, God laid out the dimensions of the land. Imagine how Abraham felt. This is all yours. But he actually never lived to see the fulfillment of this promise. That's what makes this so amazing. God said, Abraham, it's yours. But the Canaanite was there. The Canaanite was there. This promise never actually came to fruition until hundreds of years later when Joshua led the people and they invaded the land. And even then it wasn't perfectly fulfilled. It would only be perfectly fulfilled in the millennial kingdom. There's still problems in the Middle East today over this very promise. So instead, when Abraham arrived in the land, he found, as I said moments ago, it was inhabited by the Canaanites. And what did Abraham do? Put yourself in Abraham's place uh, and think, does he start a war to rid the land of the Canaanites? After all, God said, it's your land. No, he never started a war. And he could have. He could have. Abraham had a lot of men. Remember when Lot, his nephew, was taken uh, away by some of the, the Canaanites? Abraham got an army of hundreds of men, and they went and they rescued Lot. He could have. He was a very wealthy man with a lot of possessions and a lot of servants. And Abraham could have physically used power to take over the land. He didn't do that. Did he start building a city that he claimed as his own? He said, well, let's, we'll build right here and let anybody try to take it away. I've got a promise that this is mine. No, he never did that. 
Did he marry a Canaanite's daughter, a Canaanite king's daughter, to, to acquire territorial rights? That's what some would have done, but not Abraham. Never did that. No, instead, he lived in the land of promise as an alien. Look at verse 9 again. This is, this is incredible. By faith, he lived as an alien in the lands of promise. He, he was an alien. In other words, he lived like an alien in his own lands. He was a transient, a temporary resident. He didn't live there as a citizen. He lived as a foreigner in a land that God said, it's yours. He lived as a foreigner in his own land. And this is obvious by his style of living. Verse 9 says, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents. He dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob. They came along later, his son and grandson. And they were fellow heirs of the same promise. And yet they, they all lived in tents. They lived like nomads, moving around from, from place to place with their tents. Never built a permanent home. In fact, Stephen, in Acts chapter 7, when rehearsing to the Sanhedrin, he rehearses the history of Israel. He says that Abraham never owned a land, not even a foot of land, meaning during the normal course of his life. I'll explain to you in a moment that he did get some land, but he never, during the normal course of his life, never even owned a foot of land, never built a permanent home. Instead, he lived in temporary dwellings, and he lived, as you study the book of Genesis, you realize that Abraham lived in many different places. You can follow Abraham's wanderings. He was in Shechem, and then Bethel, and then Hebron, and then Beersheba. Abraham moved around, and maybe there were other places that the Bible doesn't tell us. He didn't even live in one spot. The only piece of property that Abraham owned in Canaan came after many, many years. In fact, I think someone said after about a hundred years in the land, when Sarah, his wife, died, he bought a burial plot at Machpelah, which is near Hebron. Let's turn to Genesis 23, because uh, I debated whether to read this chapter to you, but I want you to see the chapter. I am going to read it because... Um, you really get the flavor of Abraham being a, an, an alien in his own lands. Now, this is the man that God promised it to. This is Abraham. God said, it's your lands. But notice how Abraham lived. Genesis 23, I'm just going to read the whole chapter. Now, Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died in uh, Keratha Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Then Abraham rose from his, from his, before his dead and spoke to the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. Give me a burial site among you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. He didn't even have a burial site. And the sons of Heth answered Abraham, saying to him, Hear us, my lord, you are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our graves. None of us will refuse you his grave for, for burying your dead. So Abraham rose and bowed to the people of the land, the sons of Heth. And he spoke with them, saying, If it is your wish for me to bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and approach uh, Ephron, the son of Zohar, for me. I mean, he has no place to bury his wife. She's just out there. He wants a place. That he might give me the cave of Machpelah, which, it, which he owns, which is at the ends of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence for a burial site. 
Now Ephron was sitting among the sons of Heth, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the sons of Heth, even of all who went in at the gate of his city, saying, No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that it is in. In the presence of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. And Abraham bowed before the people of the land, and he spoke to Ephron in the hearing of the people of the land, saying, If you will only please listen to me, I will give the price of the field. Accept it from me, that I may bury my dead. He's saying, I want to give you a price. Don't just give it to me. Then Ephron answered Abraham, saying to him, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth 400 shekels of silver, what is that between me and you? So bury your dead. And Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver which he had, had named in the hearing of the sons of Heth, 400 shekels of silver, commercial standard. So Ephron's field, which was in Machpelah, which faced Mamre, the field and the cave which was in it, and all the trees which were in the field that were within all the confines of its border were deeded over to Abraham for a possession in the presence of the sons of Heth before all who went in at the gate of the city. After, and after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, facing Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave that is in it were deeded over to Abraham for a burial site by the sons of Heth. I think it's a very, very sad chapter. God said, Abraham, the land is yours. It doesn't belong to the Canaanites. The land is yours. And Abraham, after wandering all these years, has to go to these Canaanite people and say, my wife is dead. Can I have a spot of land? That's a very sad verse, but I, it just uh, emphasizes that he was really a sojourner, really a sojourner. So Abraham lived like a migrant, traveling from one place to another, even though the very land that he traveled was promised to God, by God, to him and to his descendants. Now, what's the point? What's the point here? It's this. This reveals God, uh, Abraham's faith in a great way. Though he never saw the fulfillment of God's promise, never lived to see that, he still believed God, and the evidence of this faith was his patience. He never doubted God. He never said, I'm packing my bags and I'm going to go home because I've been here for a while and it hasn't happened. He believed God and he was patient. He lived as an alien while he patiently waited for God to bring his promise to pass, even though he never lived to see it. He still believed God. You see, faith is patience. Faith is not impatience. Faith is patient, and it needs to learn to be more patient. Because God often calls us to, to what? Here's a key word, wait upon him. And you know that. Wait upon him and work for him when we don't see results, when we don't see things happening that, are, that, that, that is on our hearts, and we believe God has put it on our hearts. And I might add that faith is not just pulling things down from nowhere. Faith is either based on the word of God or, or on a burden that you're very clear that God has put on your heart. It isn't just saying, I believe this, so it must, have, it must come to pass. That's wishful thinking. Faith is, has an object. It, it has some objective truth there. So, sometimes we have to wait and wait and wait, and we wonder, why isn't it happening? And we work for God, and we don't see results. Well, it goes right back to chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. If you saw it, it wouldn't be faith. Faith is convinced that God will fulfill his word even when we don't see it happening. There are few things in life that are sadder than seeing someone give up. On the other hand, those who endure eventually see God come through in his own perfect time.
I have a friend, for example, whose wife prayed for him for 10 years that he would accept Christ as his Savior. After 10 years of ceaseless prayer, she got her answer. It cost my friend his leg in an accident. That's how God finally got his attention. Yet they both consider the leg a small price to pay compared to what he has gained through Jesus Christ. We will get back to our class right after we take a quick break to welcome those of you who may have just tuned in. You're listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been ministering since 1981 at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're in the middle of a series of lessons on the heroes of the faith found in Hebrews chapter 11. Today is the conclusion of Pastor Steve's second message on this subject. Here now is Pastor Steve. We're called to plot along. We're called to persevere. When we don't see results, when we don't see how God is going to fulfill his word, when it gets tough and the enemy of our soul tempts us to give up, and he surely does, doesn't he? That's what faith is. How many missionaries have gone to the field and do not send back glowing reports about incredible conversions? But they walked by faith. You know, some of the great early pioneer missionaries uh, never saw anyone converted. Or if they did, it was very a very small number. And yet they, they walked by faith. They patiently persevered. And even though they left this earthly world, the fruits of their labors are being reaped today. They walked by faith. They didn't see some of the great things that, uh, uh, that their spiritual descendants are seeing. And we're called to walk by faith just like that. In fact, a verse that comes to my mind is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. We, we normally just uh, talk about this at Easter time, but it's a great, uh, great verse because it says, The resurrection is, fu- is the future. There's a future hope for you. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. It's not in vain. You may not see results now. You may not see God doing anything that you can comprehend, but persevere, persevere. James chapter 5, verse 7 speaks about patience. Be patient, therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. Behold, the farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. Hey, farmers know about patience. Christians need to be patient. You know what this means? If God has put a burden on your heart and you've prayed about it and prayed about it, perhaps it's the salvation of a loved one and you don't see the results, you just continue praying. You don't give up. True faith is is patient. It perseveres. And patience means perseverance. You endure. You don't give up. Be patient. Walk by faith and trust God to accomplish what he has laid on your heart. If money is tight for many of you, and you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, and you have honored the Lord, and and there are verses in the Bible that say such things as, seek my kingdom first and my righteousness, and I'll give you everything you need, and you haven't the, the foggiest notion how that's going to happen. You do what's right, and you are patient. You wait upon the Lord. This is where it becomes very practical. You're patient. Most of us are not patient. We want patience, and we say, I want it now. Well, that's not patience. Now, why was Abraham so patient, and how can we develop this patience? It's one thing to know that we ought to be patient. How can you develop it? Verse 10 is the key. This is it. For he was looking for the city 
which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Looking for a city. Abraham was patient to live in tents all of his life as an alien because he knew that, that uh, something greater was in store for him. That's why he was patient. This, this life wasn't it. This wasn't the ultimate. He fixed his spiritual gaze upon an eternal city. He's talking here about heaven. Uh, later on in the scriptures, it's revealed as the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of, out of heaven. And that's where we dwell for all of eternity. We dwell in a city. And Abraham, coming from a city, would be very pleased to dwell in a city. He looked forward, in other words, to his heavenly estate. He looked forward to heaven. That's how he could handle all the other stuff in this hostile world. Now, God must have revealed to Abraham about heaven, which we're not told about, but obviously for Abraham to believe God and look for this, he had to know about it. What kept Abraham going when he, when he was, you know, must have been tempted to think, why am I living in these tents? This is my land. I'll tell you what kept him going. He focused beyond his present circumstances to the unseen and eternal blessings awaiting him. That's how he endured. And that's the same way that we endure. We look forward to heaven, and that, my friends, is what should keep you from being discouraged. Romans 8, 18, I think says it all. Romans 8, 18, listen to this. You don't need to turn there. I'll, I'll turn there for you. For I consider that the sufferings, Paul writes, of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And no matter what you're suffering, it can't be revealed to the glory with the glory that's, that we're going to have. So don't focus on the sufferings. Focus on the glory. It'll help you to endure what you're going through now. It, it really will. Hey, you know... Um, Obviously, I have marathon illustrations, obviously. And it's sort of like that. It really is like that when you are trying to, to, uh, to run 26.2 miles, and I might add the point two, very hard at the end because you think you're finished and you got these still two-tenths of a mile. But when you're doing that, uh, what you have to focus on is not the pain that you're going through at that moment. You got to focus on how great it'll be to finish this. And what awaits me at the end? A blanket, some water, something to eat, and, and just rest for my legs. That, that's the same thing in the spiritual realm. you got to think about what it will be when you finally cross the finish line into glory. And you don't dwell on your circumstances now. In fact, that's the whole purpose and message of the book of Revelation. Endure today because glory awaits you tomorrow. That's, that's the message of the book of Revelation. That's why it was written to a persecuted and suffering church. And that's why the writer to the Hebrews is saying this, because he knows that the, these first century uh, Hebrew believers were, were persecuted. They were going through terrible times. They needed to hear, and we need to hear the same thing, that the way to endure the problems of today is to focus on the glories that await us tomorrow. That's the way you do it. And that's why scripture reminds us that we are only aliens. You know that we are aliens in this world. We are citizens of heaven. We are not citizens of this, of this earth in, in that sense of that this is the ultimate. And so it means don't get too attached to life down here. I mean, obviously you have responsibilities, but don't get too attached because Colossians 3.2 says, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on this earth. Set your mind on the things above. We're just on a pilgrimage like Abraham. All things are promised to us. 
fact, we're going to reign with Christ someday. We're going to rule this world someday. But don't rule it now. But we're just pilgrims. We're, we're living in tents too. Perhaps a little bit nicer than Abraham, but still tents, just temporary dwellings. So you can endure a little discomfort like Abraham did. You can do it. You can tough it out. And the way you do this is by focusing on eternal matters, God and Christ and heaven. You see, if you live like this world is the ultimate, that this world is all there is, then any little thing that goes wrong gets blown out of proportion. It becomes a major uh, catastrophe. That's not the way to develop patience. You develop patience when you realize that, so what? So what? This is just a happening. That's all. It's not an eternal happening. You see, when this life is the ultimate, then things just get blown out of proportion. Everything blows us away. Everything is the ultimate. But that's not the way it is. But when you put things in perspective, that this is just merely temporal, and trust God to fulfill his word about heaven, then the problems that and discomforts we have just seem of little consequence. And they really are. It's a matter of how you view it. You can endure anything. It's the message to the Hebrews. It's the message to us. You can endure anything, just like Abraham did, by being a man or a woman of faith who looks forward with certainty to what God has promised. Now, the question that always arises in people's minds is this. Does this mean we're going to be so heavenly-minded that we're no earthly good? You know what? There's always a danger of that, and we need to be careful about that. This isn't all that the Bible says about faith. The Bible also says that if you have faith, you're going to put that into practice uh, in a very tangible way to, to help others. But there is a danger when you focus on heaven and eternal things that you could kind of walk in a fog and not be of any earthly good. But the way you balance that is, is, do the way, is live the way Abraham did. Number one, have a faith that's active. Have a faith that is active, obedient to God's leading now. So you're not just living in the clouds. Now, today, do those things that God tells you to do. Things that God puts on your heart. Those burdens. You do it now. But while you're doing that now, have a faith that is patient. That perseveres with today's problems. Without, you persevere without seeing results. Because you're, you're patient. And you, the way to handle this is by focusing on tomorrow's glory in heaven with Jesus Christ. That's where our minds need to be. That's where our minds really need to be. Too many Christians are living in the present tense. And there's a certain sense in which we have to. However, the focus needs to be the future tense. So how about you? Are you going to have an active faith? A faith that when God calls you to do something, you're going to do it. You're without hesitation. And are you going to have a patient faith that even when you don't see results, you'll persevere because your mind is not on the results. Your mind is on the glory of God, on the future. That's the way to live. That's the way to endure problems. That's the way to go through life. And that is when, uh, when you put that in perspective, that's when faith becomes a tremendous adventure. Now, the only thing left for you to do is to say yes to God, to say, yes, God, that's the way I'm going to, I'm going to live. And uh, that's what we need to do now as we bow in prayer. You just say yes to God. Faith is an adventure. Well put, Pastor Steve. When you live by faith, when you do anything God asks, giving anything He asks, and going anywhere He asks, you never know what will happen. But you can be pretty sure it will be exciting from time to time as well as uncomfortable once in a while. Thank you for listening today to Verse by Verse. 
Today's class was the conclusion of Pastor Steve's second message on the heroes of the faith. But we're not done studying those great examples. There is much more to come. Pastor Steve's 25-plus years of ministry at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida has expanded to include verse-by-verse ministries. It's a faith ministry that depends on the prayers and gifts of listeners like you who have first been faithful to their local church. If you would like to hear today's class again, please visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. You can download the audio or listen online. You might like to sign up for our free podcasting service while you're at it. That's versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to order a cassette or an audio CD with this entire message, please call us at 727-239-0306. Leave your name and a number and we'll return your call during weekday office hours. That number again, 727-239-0306. We invite you to join us for our next class when we will continue to study the heroes of the faith. I think we can learn even more from the life of Abraham. Abraham.